Hello and welcome to Food Focus, where we seek to discuss, challenge, and learn about topical issues related to food. My name is Mike Von Massa. I'm a faculty member in food, agriculture, and resource economics at the University of Guelph, and someone who's just curious and interested about food. So, today's episode, we're going to talk to Dr. Jess Haynes, who's a faculty member in applied nutrition here at the University of Guelph and co-director of the Guelph Family Health Study, which is a topic that we'll probably cover in a later episode. Today, we're going to focus on the new Canada Food Guide. We saw a lot of news as it was launched, and uh, though it's quieted down, I think it's still something that's worth talking about. Uh, I have to admit I'm a bit of a skeptic as to how significant a role the Canada Food Guide plays in shaping our diets, but uh, it was interesting to, to talk to Jess about what's in it and why it matters and, and to hear her opinion that perhaps she thinks it plays a more important role in shaping the evolving diets of Canadians than perhaps I thought. So I think it'll be worth a listen. Before we get there, I just thought I'd do a little bit of shameless self-promotion and remind everyone about our foodfocusguelph.ca, our website, where you can access previous episodes of the podcast and also take a look at our blog where members of our team write about topical issues of interest that emerge on an ongoing basis. So without further ado, let's move directly to uh, my conversation with Jess. Looking forward to it. Welcome and uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it's exciting and we've just recently had the new food guide out and I thought who better to talk to than Jess? And so I have some very specific questions I want to ask, but I wanted to start with getting sort of your impression. Are sure. we, you know, what's new, what's different, what's good, what's bad? Yes. So I'm probably biased because I am in nutrition, but I think it's an exciting time in mm-hmm. Canada to for nutrition and for health. I think the food guide is a great and important and needed improvement. The other one was from 2007 and is dated. And so I think one of the exciting things is that it does catch us up to the current context. Uh, so I, for in a few ways. So one of the things certainly is that it's not talking just about what we eat, but also how we eat. So there's guidance on food choices, but also guidance on how we eat. And I think that's important, especially in a setting where we have lots of food. Uh, There's lots of access to food and often not the healthiest one. So that is a nice improvement. I also think that we know that, and I know you've shared some of this data, that Canadians are eating out more and more. And so the switch to say, actually, the concern about that is that many of the foods we eat during those times have higher saturated fat, higher salt, higher Mm -hmm. sugar. So it's also responding to that and saying, hey, we actually also have to think about preparing meals at home. Mm -hmm. So I think it's exciting. I think it's uh, reflective of current times and put some a bit more attention to talking about, let's talk about what folks are eating and how do we get to sort of a healthier option. Okay. What are the significant changes then? Like, you know, we've heard we've gotten rid of food groups and and, and so we're contextually presenting it a bit differently, but is it fundamentally huge shift in the recommendations on how to eat? In fact, no, really. You are exactly right. It is a fundamental shift away from from food groups and talking about uh, sort of what your plate should look like as opposed to specifics. Uh, It's not as directive, right? It's not saying to you, you, Mike, 
as a male this age, this is exactly mm. what you should be having. Instead, it's sort of this guidance. Here's yeah. how you should be making your food choices. So that's a big difference from the specifics before. And I think the specifics were hard for folks to, yes. what's yeah. a portion size, yeah. etc. Yeah, exactly. Portion size, I think, drove people nuts. Drove people, and people did it wrong all the time and over, and yeah, really. And, <laughs> yeah, and in as much as people, and we'll get to this, in as much as people thought about it at all, I think portion sizes was one of the biggest challenges people had. Yes, yes. The other thing that it's getting a lot of attention about a change is that there's a focus on plant-based proteins versus animal-based proteins. And I think because visually we've taken away meat and meat alternatives as a food group, that is the case. But however, if you look in 2007 at the second page, which is sort of the details about what we're supposed to do, it was there and it was there all the time. The recommendation then was um, to eat those plant-based proteins often. Um, So it's there. I think it's more sort of uh, more obvious now because we've taken away that meat group and there's talk about the plant-based choices. So I think that's a shift, but not fundamental from what we knew related to health. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was talking to a colleague who said to me, none of this is really new, right? And, and, And it got me thinking about because it's based on science, it can't be new. No. Right? It, you know, the, goal, the goal of the food guide can't be to be novel yeah. um, when it's based on the best evidence we have, which is certainly that when we eat more plant-based proteins and reduce um, some of our animal-based proteins, we have better outcomes related to chronic disease. Mm-hmm. And we've known that for some time. So some of that stuff um, certainly was always there and certainly the focus on fruit and veg. The plate makes it quite visual. We're yeah. talking half your plate. Yeah. So that helps sort of highlight the importance. But vegetables and fruits were always the main one. Our rainbow mm-hmm. was supposed to show you what are the things you're supposed to have the most of if it had the largest rainbow, longest sort of uh, arc in the rainbow. I'm not sure that's very intuitive, but that was the message then and is the message now when we see half our plate being fruits and veg. So some changes, but in general, the main foundation is quite the same. Would you have done anything differently? If you were sitting up on the top floor of Health Canada and, and driving this process forward, would you have done anything differently? My first thought is I really think the current guide does reflect most of what I would say. Yeah. I'll say that for sure. A small thing is one of their recommendations about how we should eat is be aware that food marketing can influence your choices. And what I don't love about that is it's not very actionable. Yeah. What does that actually mean? I think I think they did it because it ties in with some of their other healthy eating strategy goals, which is trying to protect as they describe vulnerable populations, which is children, mm-hmm. and trying to restrict marketing of unhealthy food to them. So I think part of it's linking it in. And part of it is we do know that marketing works. That's why people spend a lot of money on it. And that the vast majority of what we see is unhealthful marketing. But as a guide for someone, be aware that it influences your intake doesn't seem very actionable to me. I think no. I think there's more important policy levers if you really care about advertising but that's a small I would say that's a bit small yeah and you, and you got yeah. you got ahead of me because that was one of the questions I had so so let, let's get dig into that sure because you say well most of the marketing we see is maybe promoting unhealthy uh-huh. eating but but it also provides absolutely no guidance as to how to tell what's good and what's bad and so to me and maybe I'm being a bit too technical to a significant degree it's saying, be skeptical when people give you information. Mm, and mm. and and so I wondered if it was helpful. Yet clearly sugar cereals and, and things, and we've seen an evolution as people become more sensitive to that. But there are other people talking about healthy food. And so 
I'm not sure that saying, be aware that marketing might have influenced your behavior. A, you make a good point, it's not actionable. But B, there's no real guidance as to say which is good and which is bad. Right. And how do you discern that? Absolutely. And I think, again, I would say the solutions to that aren't putting on the consumer. You should be aware of it. But actually making rules about food marketing that make it easier for a consumer. So, for example... When you're walking through the grocery store, one of the classic examples I can think of is one of the recommendations is to eat whole grain more often, right? But we do not prevent food advertisers from saying this is a multi-green product, right? Yeah. Those sound a lot alike. You know, this is a multi-grain cracker. It's a multi-grain. But that just means there's more than one grain put in it. It has nothing to do with whether or not the whole grain's there and you get the fiber, etc., difficult as a consumer. So I think rather than say to the consumer, you should watch for that thing, those things, be thoughtful about what are the things we could put in place that help that industry would have to do when they're saying what's in their foods that allows the consumer to do a, to discern what's healthy and what's not. Because right now it's a pretty complex place. Yeah. Uh, Health Canada is another piece of their healthy eating strategy is to talk about bringing front of uh, package labeling in. And it's focused on a few key nutrients. It's supposed to help you identify the foods that are high in saturated fat, salt, and sugar, yeah. but likely won't help us when we think about fiber, which is another yeah. um, key aspect of food that we know that Canadians aren't eating enough of. So yeah, I think the food guide can do some things well, yeah. um, but some of it, I think you're exactly right, is more nuanced. And also putting something to the consumer might not be the right way if we really want to help them you know and and, and, i mean a couple of points i'd make is the food guide in and of itself is food marketing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and so i I think we need to be a little careful in in being a bit more clear on what that means the other point is and and we're getting a little off topic but that's okay because i think it's an interesting point is the front of package labeling we're actually you and i should have a chat but we're going to actually do some research on front of packaging label front Mm -hmm. of package labeling and it's not entirely clear how well that will work. Right. And it is, frankly, marketing too. And mm-hmm. so seeing something on, unless we have some reasonable health literacy, might not actually make a difference. And it might also make a difference if everything in the category is labeled, will people switch within a category or switch out of a category? I think there are lots of questions to come. Agreed. But... Some will argue it's a step in the right direction. I'm going to go back to something you said earlier, which is we've known for a long time we should eat less meat. Probably the real guidance is a little more nuanced than that. We should, we should probably eat overall less meat. We should definitely eat less processed meat mm-hmm. and probably eat sort of leaner cuts and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. That isn't as clear to me in the, in the guide, right, as with the focus going to plant-based proteins. Is that just hard to get all of these messages out? Probably. I I imagine Health Canada wrestled with, or likely started with lots of messages and then got down to the ones they have. I think, too, because even with the last food guide where it did say, you know, choose those plant-based proteins often, Canadians don't very well follow, you know, um, only 13%, for example, have pulses on a regular basis, right? So it's not very common. So they may too have decided rather than muddy it with, here's the nuances within. Here's good meat and bad meat. And there is is some 
messaging around processed meats. Yeah. If you look there, it yeah. certainly highlights the strong, stronger association yeah. we see with processed meats. And so I think I think it's it at least gets you talking about okay, what are we talking about when we're talking about plant based proteins yeah. and how do we support Canadians to switch to that? Because currently it would be a shift. Yeah, and it and it's true we're seeing that and. I'll get to that in a second. We're seeing some of that happen. Mm. I think part of the issue we have with pulses, and I've talked to some of the pulse people, is less a resistance to eating plant-based proteins and more a how do I do it. Yes. And frankly, with some pulses, the way we prepare meals is, you know, most Canadians at 3 o'clock in the afternoon have no idea what they're going to eat for mm. dinner. I had mm-hmm. this discussion with my, with my mother last night, is you can't get home from work and suddenly prepare white beans for dinner that day, yeah. right? They have yeah. to have soaked. You have to have thought about it the day before yes. or put them in water in the morning or you have to use a canned product. Or And so part of it is, you know, it's easy to pull something yes. out of the freezer and barbecue it or microwave it or warm it up or whatever. And pulses in some cases are more difficult because of the prep time, the lack of convenience. So I think the two things, knowing what to do becomes critically important and also having products that work in the context of our convenience-driven lifestyle is also important. Oh, I think you're exactly right. And this is a good first step. So this guidance gives us, and I would say in the nutrition world, what this means for us is how then do we help Canadians meet these recommendations? And I think you're exactly right. I think there's a few pieces. One is going to be thinking about, and there are some supports on Health Canada about recipes, etc. But how do we help folks make sure they have the food skills to make this happen? One improvement would be to make sure that kids, when they leave high school, have food preparation skills, which currently is just an option. It's not seen as a vital life skill that absolutely you should have. Uh, So that would be one way to think about doing it. Um, I I think that's so critical. Agreed. You know, when I grew up in eastern Manitoba longer ago than I care to remember, it was required. Yes. Boys and girls. Boys and girls did it. Absolutely. Everyone took it. And I, think it, and I think it made a difference. And I, I tell a story. My oldest son spent a summer working in a restaurant kitchen. It fundamentally changed how we thought about food. And I, we think, you know, we tried to eat as a family. We tried to sort of encourage them to cook a little bit. But learning how to use a knife, learning, you know, yep. a, a wider array of ingredients... You know, he still will send me texts. Look what I'm cooking for dinner tonight. Like it makes a difference in how kids think about food. Yes. And you're seeing it as an example. I chatted with a reporter about the food guide and I made the same recommendation. And she paused and said, you know what? My mom still goes back to her notes from Homac. Yeah. And I said, and I right away I said, and I wonder if she's ever gone back to calculus. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> well, don't knock calculus. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, yeah, it's just mean, sort yeah. of interesting that we have thought that's not a key life skill. Yet this woman, you know, 40 years later still refers back on how to prep something. It's, it's interesting. Someone put on Facebook just the other day a picture of the cookbook that we got in home ec saying, saying the exact from same thing class. from my class. And that yeah. would have been almost 40 years ago as well. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, not to knock calculus too hard, but you probably haven't seen your calculus textbook. Well, given, given, given <laughs> I study at comics, I do still do a calculus on occasion. So bad example, but, but I'll concede the point. <laughs> You'll admit you're an outlier. Yeah, I, I will yes. admit I'm an outlier. Yes. So... The next question, and I and I expect that you're anticipating this because we had a chat last week about this, is does the food guide matter? Mm-hmm. The news came out. There was lots in the news. 
I watched the news this morning. There wasn't a single mention of the food guide anymore. Uh, we will see it as part of the elementary school curriculum, but not in many cases as a high school curriculum. Does it actually, you know, how many people followed the food guide before, mm -hmm. even though they were sort of generally aware of it? And will this fundamentally change, change. behavior? Yes. So I'm going to answer a few, you asked a few questions, which yeah. does it matter and does it change behavior? So I'm going to separate those a little bit. So does it matter? I would say yes. Yeah. And the reason I think it matters is, as you mentioned, individuals do have access to it. And certainly it is the core for many years, actually. You might remember this with your children. They get the food guide repeatedly throughout their education. So it's yeah. a sort of a fundamental document that way. It's also one of the, it's the second most accessed government form after tax forms. So that's, that's not just teachers, right? That's other folks. So there's lots of folks who, who are certainly aware of the, mm -hmm. of the, and access the food guide. It also influences what is served at settings where we spend our time. So child care centers, for example, follow the food guide to determine what they serve for meals and for snacks and what qualifies mm -hmm. as meals mm -hmm. and snacks. What's allowed at schools and what is there here in Ontario, we have guidelines about what foods are allowed and less so and, and mm -hmm. the food guide guides that. So that would be a few places where you could imagine a long-term care home similarly. The food guide does provide guidance. So it, I think it matters in some of those settings. Okay. Too. And I guess I'll push back and give your profession a bit of credit and say, is it a reflection of what dietitians would be doing anyway? And so is it actually affecting it or in those institutional settings like a hospital or a care home where you have a, a nutritionist or a dietitian who is saying, what do these people need to keep healthy, you know, with some of the other challenges, you know, yeah. with older people texture and all, you know, the ability to all of those sorts of things. So is it actually impacting or is it just a good reflection of what people should be doing anyway? It's right. a bit of a chicken yeah, and no, egg question. No, you're exactly right. And you're exactly right in, in those settings with dietitians. Much of these messages, some of them certainly would. Because as we talked about, some of the fundamental messaging isn't yeah. all that different. But I would imagine, uh, it'll be interesting to see, but then in some of those institutions, they start to increase the amount of plant-based options. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to explore that. Uh, and they may switch out that they offer more water and pull out something like juice used to be in the fruit and veg. It's yeah. no longer this one certainly promoting more water. So we can imagine that there might be a few changes that yeah. way. The other question you asked was, does it change behavior? Yeah. And at an individual level, to get back to something we said earlier, I think it's a good start. Yeah. But then we need supports to help people be able to implement them. And we also need policies that make sure that the environments where we spend our time allow us to make these choices, right? Mm -hmm. So things like recreation centers. If we want to tell kids to drink water mainly, we shouldn't have rows and rows of machines giving out sugar-sweetened beverage, right? Yeah. And so uh, both of those things, I think, have to happen. The food guide on its own isn't enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go back to a point that, that we made earlier, and, and maybe we've answered this a little bit, but one of the things I've said in the past week is that the food guide isn't revolutionary. Mm -hmm. It is a reflection of the evolution of Canadian diets. And, and so to a significant degree, I'd forgotten that plant-based proteins were in the old guide. I've probably mm -hmm. not seen it since I was in. <laughs> anyway, for, for quite some time. But we're hearing lots, and I've written, and, and I know we've chatted about plant-based proteins. So that's happening more and more. Mm -hmm. And so it is 
probably not at the cutting edge of where people are, but really a mirror held up to say, look, people who are trying to eat healthily are doing this. More of us probably should. And it's something to aspire to, but probably not pushing us much beyond where we are. Am I naive and maybe in a bubble and saying, well, because I realize there's people out there who are eating profoundly unhealthy, Mm -hmm. but there are probably also people who are eating much healthier Right, right. Diets than than are reflected here. Sure. And those folks, you're exactly right, would have likely kept up on sort of the key recommendations uh, and therefore may have already shifted to thinking about more plant-based proteins for sure, um, making sure they have fruit and veg. That's not revolutionary, right? The vegetables um, are a healthful choice. But I I think what's exciting about the food guide or important about the food guide, it's made sure it's made use of the most, the current knowledge and evidence and is a refocus on here's here's what we know from the evidence and since 2007 it's just we have more of it to show that this is a helpful following those recommendations in the food guide leads to lower risk of chronic disease and that's important and so i think no i don't as i said i don't think the food guide's novel and nor nor should it be the one who's like you know pushing or proposing a, a diet that we don't have strong evidence for it's mm-hmm. definitely evidence-based and yeah. so as a result it's not a revolution except mm-hmm. that we need to then figure out how to get canadians eating that way how to get more canadians more eating canadians eating that, that way. way that's a good way to say it. Yeah. yeah that's right so the last question or the last area i'd like to talk about is you raised it earlier actually and i found it interesting i thought it was really interesting that this food guide also had some stuff around things that didn't relate to what you were putting in your mouth it uh-huh. would, right the yeah. how we eat. Yeah, the how we eat. Eat with people. Mm-hmm. Cook more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there were several others uh, yeah. there that I thought were, were interesting and were good. Mm-hmm. What's your impression? Sure. Because the other one that's there is being mindful. Yeah. Right? And a lot of the work I do is studying children's eating. Yeah. In particular, what are the things that we do as parents that really influence how kids eat? And one of the interesting things is that in general, as infants, we're born, the vast majority of folks, very attuned to our hunger and our satiety cues, mm-hmm. right? So able to read those and respond well to them. Well, many of the things that happen in our environment, one of them that we do as parents when we say to children, no, you must have three more bites before you get up. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of cues in the environment to eat, regardless of whether you're hungry, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the sandwich truck, the yeah, yeah. ice cream, you know. Yeah. So what happens is we end up overriding that hunger and satiety. And mm. the problem is in our environment where there's food, many places, my example is always that you go to Home Depot and you're like, why is there food at Home Depot? You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. how is it that we've gotten to a place where everywhere we go, there's food and often less healthful choices yeah. that when we lose that ability to listen to that hunger and satiety, it really can have dire consequences. We end up eating way more of unhealthful foods than we should. So I think science would suggest that trying to be more mindful and listening to that hunger and satiety cues will help. Uh, We also have good evidence that both as children, but also even as young adults and adults, when we eat with people, we often will eat healthier, have healthier intakes, but also there's psychosocial benefits Mm -hmm. uh, where folks, you know, there's lots of social lower depression, lower anxiety, except when we, when we reach out to people. So there is good evidence both for physical health, but mental health that those kind of recommendations make a difference. And so I think it is reflective of the science yeah. and also 
speaks to the fact that food is much more than the stuff we it's put cultural. in. It's cultural. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's and, and it says to enjoy food, and it, it says to enjoy the cultural traditions you have, and that, yeah. that that's part of a healthy diet. Yeah. And enjoying food is part of a healthy diet. And I like... Um, if you look at some of the other ones, it's a bit more sterile. Like yeah. you know, certainly when it was the food rules, yeah, you yeah. know, you must eat these things. <laughs> yeah. There was no like, mm. there was no sense of joy or enjoyment. Mm. And so I actually really like that shift because it's not nutritionists telling you you can't have ice cream, right? That's mm. not the purpose of the food guide. It is talking about enjoyment and enjoying it with people, and but and still making sure that you are being mindful because certainly eating in a hurried place that's not meant to eat like your mm-hmm. desk and mm-hmm. I, i've certainly had moments where i look down and i think did i eat did i finish that bite am i yeah. done already yeah. you know because i haven't been mindful at all yeah. and of course that is i also didn't enjoy it yeah uh, so i i really like that shift of how we eat yeah mm-hmm. and, and eating with people yeah well that that covers pretty much what i thought we would cover i appreciate you taking the time the last thing i'm going to ask you is if someone hasn't read it or if, if they said, Jess, what should I be thinking about to make sure I do well? What's the elevator pitch on the food guide or Jess's good eating advice? I'm going to steal it. Okay. And I'm stealing it from Michael Pollan. Okay. And I'm stealing and adapting slightly. Okay. Which is prepare your own food, mostly plants, not too much. Yeah. That really does. Uh, he said that years ago, yeah. and it really does sum up sort of where the science is about what healthful eating looks like. Good. Well, thank you for taking the time. I'd like to thank Molly Gallant for producing the podcast and Zachary Von Masso for the music that breaks up the introduction and in the actual discussion. And I encourage you, if you're interested, to look up some of our other episodes, stay in touch. You can find them at foodfocusguelph.ca, which is a, a website that includes not only the podcast, but a blog and other topics of interest in food. You can pick up other episodes of the podcast there, as well as iTunes and other places that you find podcasts. I hope you will come back and listen again.